After years where inflation has been low and stable, suddenly there's a lot of talk about inflation. But how worried should we be? And what does it mean for the Australian economy, for interest rates and for Australian workers' wages? I'm Kat Clay, Head of Digital Communications at Grattan, and with us today is Brendan Coates, the Economic Policy Program Director, and Alex Valentine, Senior Associate. Welcome, guys. Hi, Kat. Great to be here. So, Alex, I want to start with you. What's brought on this talk of the big inflation word? Inflation, it's back. So, this is a global story. Inflation is up in in North America. In the US, it's over 6%. In Europe as well, it's up. There's multiple things going on here. Really, inflation is this balance between demand and supply. So we can think about it through that lens. There's been a bit of a a shift through the pandemic of people's consumption and people are are buying more goods than they used to because the services sector uh, is not really accessible. You can't go on holiday. With this, uh, the change in in what people are buying, it has uh, created a lot of demand for durable goods, for sort of white goods, uh, household furnishings, computer equipment, this kind of, of thing. And what we're also seeing at the same time is uh, supply disruptions. The provision of goods that people want to buy has has slowed down. So inflation is basically an increase in in the price of goods and services. At the moment, a lot of people are focusing on supply. So uh, inflation will occur when there's more demand than there is supply. Uh, The prices of things go up because there's more people who want to buy them and there's not enough of them around. People have been focusing on the supply side in the most recent sort of bout of global inflation that we've seen. This is partly driven by higher energy costs, inputs into producing goods, as well as low inventories. The way that global supply chains work is that companies don't hold a large stock of what they sell, and they just kind of you know try to keep that small to reduce their costs. And that has led to some bottlenecks. Shipping costs have dramatically increased uh, and there's delays. So products aren't being shipped around the world as quickly as they used to. And so all this has meant that there's less supply of goods in the world, particularly things uh, like what we call consumer durables. So, you know, household furnishings, uh, white goods, bikes, and particularly computer equipment as well. And I mean, Alex, coming into Christmas time, that's something that concerns every every person who has to give a gift this season. Um, will will the presents arrive in time? Will little Billy's bicycle be under the tree at Christmas? Where have we seen this before? Has this happened before? Little Billy is always a worry. I mean, we we're hoping we're we are hoping little Billy gets his his bike for Christmas. It is, is a concern, and you know, you should be going out and buying your Christmas presents now, probably thinking about uh, these supply disruptions, but we have seen parts of this before. I mean, you know, it's been 100 years since we've seen a global pandemic, but aspects of this have happened, particularly in the 1970s, thinking about energy prices. So in the 1970s, there were these oil shocks. Uh, Groups of countries got together and said, we're not actually going to put as much oil into the global market. We're not going to sell as much oil anymore. And in that uh, period of time, the price of oil you know, tripled. It, it was a huge shock. And uh, that actually then fed through to other prices in the economy and to, to people's wages. And we had what is commonly re- uh, referred to as a stagflation, a period of high inflation and a stagnant economy where there was you know, a lot of unemployment. 
I'm really glad you explained that term because I've always wondered what it means and never kind of quite understood it. I mean, what's happening to inflation in Australia? What are we seeing here? Right. Well, we're seeing some of these uh, global factors playing out here. And, you know, up until uh, a a few weeks ago, there were just um, selected signs in Australia. So this story about global shipping and supply affecting sort of the price of cars, furniture, as I've said, uh, that has been felt here. You know, I felt this myself. So in, in July, I wanted to get in to buy a gravel bike packing bike. You know, it's the thing to do. People are, are getting into gravel bike packing and I wanted to um, buy this new bike, a bit of present to myself after surviving the, the harsh lockdowns. Didn't know that there was another lockdown yet to come, but I'd gone and, and tried one out. Like I was saying, oh, yeah, there'll be more coming in. I thought, oh, no need to, to worry too much. Next thing you know, you're in another three-month lockdown. Four months later, the bikes that were meant to come in haven't, and uh, the bikes that they had are sold out now. Not only that, but this shipment that's supposed to come in is now 15% more expensive. That's a huge increase in a matter of, of months. This kind of dynamic has been, been felt in Australia, definitely, uh, but Overall, up until uh, just the September quarter, just until a recent consumer price index release, overall inflation in Australia hadn't been particularly strong. But that release was a fair bit higher than expected, reflecting a a lot of different factors, both this combination of of demand and supply, uh, particularly on some things like the price of new dwellings, houses. So, Alex, are you little Billy? Are you waiting for your bike under the Christmas tree. I am little, little Billy. Unfortunately, I'm also Santa, um, you know, delivering uh, or buying the, the present for myself. So I, I still don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get this bike. And also 15%, that's, it's a huge increase. Do I want to pay that? But the other thing it leads to is thinking about, I should buy that now, right? It might go up even more. You're seeing that now with the housing market, you know, people are just going bonkers for houses because you know the supply is so so little at the moment but I'm sure Brendan will have things to say on that my only tip for you is that I think Aldi special buyers has a bicycle now Brendan I mean on to the serious question I mean we've heard from Alex about you know his bike woes and how that kind of relates to inflation how worried should we be about inflation in Australia so Kat, as a parent who is responsible um, as Santa for Christmas, look, we have been a little bit worried about, we've been buying stuff up early. So, you know, the smart money hopefully got in ahead and bought 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 things before um, things that ran short of stock. I think the short answer is, you know, with inflation, you should be alert but not alarmed, right? We should be in a world where we should be cautious about and worried about how much inflation may increase in the future um, and what that might mean. Because we know from past experience when if inflation does get out of hand, what the Reserve Bank then does is it, it basically um, has to sort of take the heat out of the economy and try to, to bring inflation down. And that's costly in terms of unemployment and so on. Before COVID, you know, we were worried about the opposite problem. We were worried about we had too little inflation. So, you know, we'd been undershooting in Australia, the inflation target for seven years. So the RBA targets inflation around of 2 to 3%, so 2.5% to the midpoint. They've been under that 2% target for the last seven or so years. And inflation expectations were starting to drift down. So if you, you know, surveyed unions, employers, if you looked at sort of measures in financial markets, those, those targets were drifting down. So if you'd asked Phil Lowe or Jerome Powell, who's the head of the, um, the US Federal Reserve, the US Central Bank, 
you know, you'd probably get, and you told them, look, your biggest concern in 18 months' time is going to be inflation, not a deflation or a depression brought on by COVID. I think they'd be relatively happy with that outcome, right? They think, okay, we've, we've probably done some things right. Now, as Alex sort of alluded to, this is a story, the, the key question here is kind of like, is this mainly being driven by the supply side? Is it, we had COVID, we're still dealing with sort of disruptions in global supply chains. Like the classic example is, you know, US car manufacturers, COVID hit, they went, okay, there's going to be less demand for our cars in the future. We're just going to cancel like orders for like, you know, microchips, you know, so, and then a couple few months later, they go, oh, okay, demand's actually holding up pretty well because the government and the Fed Reserve has pumped enormous amounts of money into the economy to sustain that nominal incomes. And then, you know, they go back to the semiconductors in, in Southeast Asia and say, can we please buy, have North Asia, sorry, I should say, can we please buy some more some microchips? It's like, okay, well, you're at the back of the queue now. Others have kept their orders and then you're struggling to get new cars on the road. So how much we should worry about this depends on whether it's supply or demand. You know, from what I can see, it looks largely supply. Um, you know, in Australia, um, you know, demand is still below where we'd probably like it to be. The risk is, you know, as you alluded to with, you know, Alex buying his bike, is it's a, the risk is where the consumers and businesses start believing that bigger price increases are around the corner and start adjusting their behaviour. You know, because then you get hoarding, then you get people in expecta- expecting high prices bringing forward their purchases now. In the US, at least, you're not seeing that. So, you know, the US University of Michigan runs a pretty good survey that basically looks at are people thinking is now a good time to buy? And like, if you think prices are going to rise in future, now's a great time to buy. And it's the same with housing, as you alluded to. And what they're finding is they most people thinking now's not a good time to buy. So the expectation is prices will come back off when you see, you know, those supply chains sorted out. We've also seen, as Alex said, a huge shift from normally we're a services-driven economy in Australia and the US. Instead, we've shifted more into goods at the moment and the, the supply chains just weren't set up to deal with that. So it all kind of comes down to you can look through as a central bank a period of supply side inflation because, you know, if you've got bottlenecks at the ports, it doesn't make sense to sort of reduce demand across the whole economy because you've kind of got the bottleneck. That's why central banks try to look through in supply side inflation. They're worried about demand side inflation where you've got too many, too much money chasing too few goods. That leads to higher prices and increase in the price level over time. And so far, at least, it doesn't look like expectations, which is the weird worry. If you have a period of sustained supply side inflation, even if it lasts long enough, you can see prices rise and expectations rise because those expectations become self-fulfilling as well. From what we can see, we're not seeing that yet. So, Brendan, I think you've answered my question about whether I should be out stockpiling toilet paper yet again. Um, maybe not yet. No, not yet. I think, um, you know, if you've got the great toilet paper stockpile of 2020, it's probably not going to generate a great return for you at this point. So more seriously, though, I mean, does this kind of lack of demand relate to the uncertainty that's coming out of the pandemic? It's partly probably uncertainty coming out of the pandemic, although I think as we're seeing restrictions ease, so in Victoria, as of today, we don't have to wear masks in the office. You know, nightclubs were running at 12.01, like not that I was there to see any of that. The question is, you know, are we past COVID? Are we past COVID? Now, you know, that's a big question. Long term, it's not clear. Booster shots are probably on the horizon. Are we going to see a resurgence next winter? Possibly. But there is a bit of a euphoria around about people feeling that like life's moving on. 
But when you think about the demand side of the, the economy, well, we're not seeing wages rise particularly strongly yet. Unemployment, you know, which was affected by lockdowns in Melbourne and Sydney, is still, you know, as of the latest numbers, 5.4%. It'll jump, fall back down now that we've reopened. But, you know, if we think unemployment's got to hit maybe 4% in order to sort of um, get wages sustainably rising, we're still a fair way away from that. Um, so in Australia, at least, you know, we're coming back, but the recovery's still got a fair way to run. And I'll just jump in. That uh, composition also makes a big difference because as we open up and we're allowed to go overseas again, we're allowed to, you know, go on holidays, our spending is going to change. And so instead of trying to, to buy bikes and, and cars and TVs, we're going to be wanting to uh, spend our money in services again. And so that's going to take some of the heat outside of that uh, inflation in goods and put it back into a, a services sector. That's a really nice way of putting all those emotional lockdown purchases of stationery that I made that will now be replaced by something more exciting, travelling overseas. So, Alex, one of the things I've always wondered about is the relationship between inflation and interest rates. Could you explain that a little bit for me? Since 1959, the core of monetary policy has been based around uh, the stability of the currency and maintenance of full employment. What does the stability of the currency actually mean? It means low and stable inflation. And what the uh, central bank, what the Reserve Bank does, is it tries to target inflation between 2 and 3% on average over time. So this is what we call inflation targeting. Uh, how it does that is by using the interest rate. So the idea is that uh, inflation is caused by uh, an imbalance in supply and demand. You know, if demand is greater than supply, prices of goods rise, inflation happens. And so the central bank sets the, the interest rate in order to try to uh, target low, stable inflation. They use a, a particular uh, sort of esoteric interest rate. It's the, the cash rate that banks trade with each other in the overnight interbank market, right? What does that mean for anyone's lives? Not particularly much unless you're working in a bank. Uh, but it has flow-on effects through all kinds of interest rates, right? The cost of borrowing, particularly for Australian households, your mortgage. The interest rate on your mortgage is really closely connected to this cash rate, the policy instrument of the uh, Reserve Bank. And so by changing that interest rate, it has this flow-on effect through the demand side of the economy. Cutting interest rates stimulates demand through a number of, of different channels. There's a savings and investment channel. If you've got very low interest rates on your deposits at the bank, well, you might want to either just spend that money or go and uh, invest that money in some other kind of, a, you know, like a shares or something like that. But it can also have an effect through your direct cash flows. So with, if you've got a mortgage, you've got these repayments that you make, as the interest rate goes down, the required repayments go down as well. And so you might just use that extra cash now and spend it, increasing demand in the economy. And the other one that gets talked about a lot, of course, is asset prices. Cuts in interest rates increase house prices. But that also stimulates demand because as people are wealthier, they go out and spend a bit more. So this interest rate uh, setting has this effect on the demand side of the economy and through that try to, to target low and stable 
global uh, inflation and aim for full employment, a world where uh, everybody who wants uh, a job is able to reasonably go out and get one and businesses are supplying the goods that people want to buy. So as someone who did buy a property in 2021, I mean, it's been really interesting to read about how people are investing in property because the interest rates are so low that they're better off putting their cash into housing, which is growing at such an exponential rate. So Brendan, every time we go on a podcast, I feel like we have to talk about interest rates. Why would the Reserve Bank raise interest rates to combat inflation now? I mean, haven't they said that they're not raising interest rates until 2024? That's right, Kat. So the Reserve Bank has been pretty clear. Until recently, it was promising to essentially keep interest rates, the cash rate, at 0.1%, so not raise rates until um, you know, April 2024. They've since stepped away from that a little bit. Um, they're now saying basically, look, they won't raise the cash rate until sort of a couple of conditions are met. The main one is, you know, around the inflation target. So they said they're not going to raise the cash rate until inflation is, quote unquote, sustainably in the target range. Now, sustainably is a bit of a vague concept, but what they really mean is that underlying inflation, you know, will be within that 2 to 3% range and have a reasonable degree of confidence it's not going to fall back down again. And they've also said, um, you know, as almost like an additional target, that they're expecting wages, nominal wages, so uh, will be rise. The, what you get as your take-home pay will grow by, say, three percent or more, in order for inflation to be in the middle of that target band of two to three percent. Now, the RBA is forecasting that these conditions won't be met really until the end of 2023. So they're still sticking with their expectation that they don't think rates will rise until you know the start of 2024. But you know, financial markets are thinking that it's probably going to occur earlier. So, you know, in the same way as banks lend to each other in these overnight markets, so, you know, I'll lend money today, you pay me back tomorrow, you know, they, there's there's also lending where you lend for two years, three years, six months, and expect to get it back. And what's interesting is that in, the, in those markets, the interest rate that's, you know, that's required has risen quite a lot. And that's an expectation that there's going to be, based on what markets are pricing, a couple of rate rises either next year and particularly going into 2023. And a lot of the banks, the private bank forecasters are expecting rates will start rising in 2023. Now, wages are still growing quite slowly. So wages rose by 2.2% in the September quarter. You know, that's basically back where we were before COVID. So that suggests that businesses aren't yet responding to labor constraints by lifting wages faster than pre-pandemic rates. For all the talk of the great resignation, we're not really seeing that in the data in Australia. You know, so quit rates are sort of still at historic lows. There are some surveys coming out of some of the consulting firms that says that a lot of people expect to quit their job. Now, that's the one part of the economy where wages are rising a bit faster is in professional services because there is a lot of demand for that work at the moment as things have reopened. Um, but overall, we're not in a world where the labour market looks particularly tight. Like, so it doesn't look like there's huge competition amongst firms trying to get workers. That said, rates are actually already rising for you know, for, for potential buyers. So coming into COVID, the Reserve Bank basically promised to keep, you know, the three-year um, government bond rate at 0.1%. That was part of their commitment to keep rates low for three years. Uh, and they also had a special facility called the Turf Financing Facility that made it particularly cheap for banks to borrow. Because banks, obviously, they're going to lend you money. They've got to get it from somewhere. And partly what they're doing is they're borrowing um, from either this Reserve Bank facility or just on, you know, on the bond market. And if the rate they're paying is very low, then they can pass on that rate to, to, to consumers at a low level. So, you know, we had fixed rate mortgages in Australia 
until very recently, you know, well below 2%. So you could borrow and your interest rate would be less than 2% for three years. What that meant is that roughly half of new borrowers are half of all new mortgages with, with, with fixed rates. That's a huge increase from where we've been historically. Normally, it's like 15%. And it suggested that people thought that, look, the likelihood is that if rates are at 0.1% for the cash rate, standard you know, variable rate for new loans is in the low twos, you'd be able to get um, rates are going to rise from there. And so you want to hedge against that. But now in recent weeks, as the RBA has dropped these facilities, um, we've already seen those fixed rates rise from, say, less than 2% to sort of closer to 25 so like that's going to have an effect on how much people choose to borrow because they can't hedge against the risk of future rate rises, particularly in a world where, you know, financial markets are expecting the recovery will be faster, inflation's going to jump higher than maybe the Reserve Bank thinks, and therefore they'll be raising the cash rate sooner than 2024, which is what they're currently expecting. Brendan, I mean, just quickly going back to that idea of uh, wage growth, what happens? I mean, tell us what happens if inflation goes up, but wage growth still is kind of stagnating. Does that mean just people can't afford to live? What it means is that people's living standards go backwards, right? So, you know, the amount, the value of your wage, you know, depends on what it can buy in goods and services in the market. And so if prices for those goods and services you want to buy are rising faster than your wage, then your your real wage, what we call your inflation adjusted wage, is falling. So you're purchase, you can purchase less. Um, now that's happening at the moment because inflation is a bit higher than wages. It's also why Australians, this is the dynamic that's led Australians really not to have a proper pay rise for most of the last decade. Cast your mind back to the pre-COVID era when we were arguing about whether we should raise compulsory super or not in a bunch of podcasts. In that world, you know, the argument from, say, Paul Keating was, oh, Australians haven't had a pay rise, you know, so you can't, you, if they don't get super, they won't get anything. And it's like, no, 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 wages were always rising by like 2 2.5%. The problem was that inflation was also rising by basically that amount. So Australia's purchasing power through their wages wasn't actually increasing. We're in a world where in the short term, you know, you could see inflation run faster than wages. But if you have strong inflation resulting from demand, if demand is strong, then you should end up in a world where wages end up rising faster than inflation in the long term. If you, if demand is strong in the short term, because we've got a supply shock that's driving a lot of this, then yeah, like a supply shock means that the cost of goods and services are higher. Demand for your labor hasn't gone up that much yet. And therefore your wage can actually have, get purchased you less now than what it could say a year ago. What else could the RBA be doing from here? So as I said at the outset, you know, we to channel Australia's sort of national security messaging from a few years ago, we should be alert but not alarmed. The RBA um, is, is suggesting they're going to stay on top of inflation, right? So they're obviously watching the data pretty closely, um, but their guidance, you know, because a lot of the way that the Reserve Bank works is it sets guidance for where interest rates are going to be going forward. Uh, that's a big channel through which um, the RBA can influence the economy because it influences people's decisions to, you know, to invest based on what they think the interest rates are going to be down the track. Their guidance is all based on forecasts. Now, it's less clear right now is what will happen if the forecasts turn out to be wrong, especially if it turns out that inflation rises faster, wages rise faster. What do they do? Now, one thing they could do is accept particularly and make clear in a world of supply where it looks like it's largely a supply shock, that they would look through a period of above target inflation because it's driven by the supply side. So the midpoint of the target band is the inflation target is 2.5%. 
you know, that would suggest if you're in low, the low 2% inflation, you hit 25 that doesn't mean you should necessarily raise rates straight away because it would mean that you're treating the inflation target as a ceiling, not a, not a band of which you should be moving around over time. You know, one thing that the Federal Reserve is doing is it's moved to an average inflation targeting regime. So it, if it undershoots for a while, then it expects to overshoot. In the past, the Reserve Bank has sort of made clear that they don't, they treat bygones as bygones. So if there's a period of undershooting, you don't overshoot on the other side. But that's probably the area where the bank could potentially give some more guidance. So, okay, your forecasts are there. You don't think it's going to happen. But what if it does? What does that mean for, for how should people think about what's going to happen to inflation, sorry, to interest rates, if inflation and wages rise faster than the bank expects? So, Brendan, just wrapping up, I mean, for everyone listening and particularly for people who are interested in buying a house or selling a house, what does this mean for house prices in Australia? The short answer is in the same way that COVID saw interest rates fall and house prices rise, you'd expect if interest rates rise, then people's ability to borrow falls and you'd expect house prices would probably start to come back down. The question is just how fast and far do interest rates rise? As a rough rule of thumb, if you reduce interest rates by a percentage point, then we saw prices rise by 20%. If we increase interest rates by a percentage point, then maybe the effect looks similar on the other side. Maybe it's a bit less, but it does suggest that you potentially end up in a world where you see prices, they're rising still now, but slowing, they start to come down on the other side. You, you lose some of those gains, which is obviously a big win for first-time buyers. And the real question is how far can interest rates rise? The, the governor has sort of suggested the neutral rate, the rate at which the economy, uh, interest rate at which the economy is neither, a monetary policy is neither expansionary or contractionary might be 2.5%. That would mean a mortgage rate of four and a half to five. I'm not so sure that that's where the neutral rate is, but it does suggest in the long term rates could rise, you know, a reasonable, a bit of a way from where they are today. Thank you so much, Brendan and Alex. In the words of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, don't panic, especially not about inflation right now. I'd like to thank you so much for listening today. If you would like to continue talking to us on social media, you can follow us on Twitter at Grattan Inst and on all other social media channels at Grattan Institute. Grattan Institute is a not-for-profit organisation and we rely on support from listeners like you. If you've enjoyed this podcast or our podcasts throughout the year, please go to grattan.edu.au forward slash donate. As we're coming into the end of the year, we'd like to thank you so much for listening and have a great day.